Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 215. One day soon there's gonna be a reckoning. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 8 of Angel, Habeas Corpses, and season 4, episode 14 of Battlestar Galactica, A Disquiet Follows My Soul. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Angel is up first, and uh, it's been a while, you know? Been a, been a little minute since we talked about Angel here. It's, We've had a it's good... It's been a minute. It's been a minute. We've had a month or so of um, of Buffy episodes in between, so... Right, and I mean... So in that vein, of course, is like when it was airing, it was like two full months, I I, I want to say, mm. uh, or maybe even longer. Um, so, yeah, like what we're feeling is it's like double, uh, you know, or, or it was double at the time of what people watching the show were. So like, although maybe really... the fact that the cliffhanger is sort of pisses you off makes the wait a little easier <laughs> well that's what i was gonna say like and and i mean i know we'll get into it but like kind of the cold open there of just like angel like turning around and like and then you hear like yeah. stuff like it like i almost feel like that's that would work like yeah. after like two months you'd be like oh yeah oh i forgot about that right oh, man. oh yeah that's yes. yeah yeah like yeah. without even showing cordy and and Connor, right? Like you totally are in, like slammed, kind of right back into the middle of things. So well, it, it kind of works, and it's so it's so short too, which makes it kind of funnier sure. and pithy. Like there's no like generally you get a good scene, you know, before the right. the credits start on, on any given episode, and this is really just a a pure. We're going to show you exactly what Angel's reaction is before cutting to credits. You know, which right. which kind of adds an element of humor to it, I think. And there's and a little I, a little self aware there of like knowing yeah. that how the audience might react or expect Angel to react. Kind of just letting him go destroy a room full of stuff is a little cathartic. And and it, I mean, I so I'm watching it on. DVD too, which they don't have like previously on Angel. Like there right. might there, I would assume that that was a part of it. But I can also see it not being. Like I could also see them saying, "Hey, let's not do a previously on. Like let's just open with right. Angel being really pissed off right. and right. see how that goes." So yeah. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, um, yeah, what it, how it actually aired. But um, yeah, it's a good kind of a good start to put you right back into the middle of things after mm-hmm. uh, a two month. And I did confirm it was like, it was like a couple days shy of two months um, since Apocalypse Now-ish yes. aired. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So before we talk through the episode, wanted to mention the title at least. Um, you might want to give a, a, a longer account of the, of, the intricacies of the punning here, but, um, you know, you kind of mentioned, I don't know oh, we that should... is that intricate, but yeah, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the fact that it's, it's playing on 
the zombies and the fact that the zombies are lawyers, you know, so uh, having a little bit of fun with their with their fate there. Sure. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, right. So um, habeas habeas corpus is a legal term um, that refers to uh, a specific legal action, uh, basically around like. Um, unlawful detention or, or illegal imprisonment, that kind of thing where you can get like a writ of habeas corpus and, you know, it's supposed to like you either, you know, you can have a hearing or, you know, some way of like questioning or challenging your imprisonment and, and say, and so, I mean, I don't know, like when I've heard it used more today in modern terms, it's like, people in Guantanamo Bay who are like captured, you know, in sort of these uh, military actions that, you know, Mm -hmm. are sort of held indefinitely as terrorists. And so like they might try to file a writ or, or try to get a hearing on habeas corpus to see if like they're, you know, being, uh, if their imprisonment is actually legal and that kind of thing. And it's like, it's like the first, so like, you know, the first kind of thing that you might do to just like start the trial process in many cases, um, of course, it, you know, the, the court could say, well, actually, yes, your uh, imprisonment is illegal. And so therefore, you know, you need to be let go right away. That could happen. Um, more often than not, it's more just a way to like, try to get into court when maybe you're being held indefinitely and don't have other uh, sort of legal options. Um so yeah, so like there's definitely that whole legal thing. Um and of sort you know, corpus and corpses um come from the same Latin root, um, both of which you embody, but um they mean very sort of different types of bodies. Like you think of a corpus as sort of a, a living thing, I think, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And and certainly that's uh I think how it's used in the legal sense of a, a person who's alive and you know, uh that kind of thing. Corpse obviously not that um (laughs) meaning dead and so you get the zombie connection and and yeah there is something funny about lawyers being like the corpses right like Mm. this the uh what what is it that angel says like the dull-witted uh undead who just crave human flesh like um and there's there's some funny stuff between him and connor there but there's like also like if we're applying that to the lawyers and that's, you know, the pound of flesh right, mm. that they want uh, for their services, so to speak. Um, sure. I know, I know that's not pound of flesh is not a lawyer, but anyway. Um, yeah. So the other thing I would mention too, though, is just that idea of like the unlawful detention or imprisonment too. Like there's that sense of Wolfram and Hart shutting down and trapping everyone inside. And mm. so you get, the you know there is no action of habeas corpus you know to get out of wolfram and hart um until of course angel remembers oh there's this white room thing and and Mm -hmm. they go up there and and they do eventually get out um but yeah so there's a lot of a lot of little you know maybe we don't need to spend a ton of time more on it but just wanted to kind of bring that up uh sure you know, at the beginning here. Yeah. One, one, one of the titles that does seem to have a few different meanings and whatever, which we've talked about before, but 
maybe gotten away from in, in some more recent episodes. Yeah, sure. No, that's good. Um, I kind of noticed that in the beginning when I was firing up the episode, but then kind of forgot to really think through as the episode was going on what the title meant, other than the 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 most obvious corpses reference. So um, good to remember that there's kind of other layers there. And I like the way that Wolfram and Hart continue as a like group of villains to be defined by their legal profession like so much it's not just that they're this um you know group of inexhaustible baddies but that they're always framed very much within like the kind of work that they do um Mm. and lawyer jokes are always a good way to go when in doubt um sure so yeah um Okay, so to start kind of talking through the episode itself, gonna kind of go through like the main character groups before we get into the plot stuff. Um, We kind of touched on where we wanted to start, which was Angel's reaction to the previous episode. So just that moment of rage, which needs no explanation for anybody that's kind of seen the end of the previous episode like even if you don't hate Cordy and Connor as a couple which it seems a lot of people do um I think you can certainly understand Angel's reaction to the couple um Mm. both I mean for on multiple levels like there's the the frustration of the near miss of he and Cordy are maybe almost finally at a place where they're ready to confess some feelings and and maybe even try to be a couple themselves. But circumstances have kind of intervened and prevented that. So the fact that like somebody else is swooping in on his girl right at that moment is frustrating. But then there's also the fact that it's, his teenage son um you know so there's the kind of like icky factor to it too Mm. you know of like not only is somebody moving in on on his woman but it's or what he thinks of as you know his woman but it's connor it's this kid it's his own son there's a slightly almost incestuous element to that of like you know, Cordy being kind of attracted to both of them and all that kind of thing. So it's kind of wrong on multiple levels. Um, Yeah. And that's kind of makes his reaction totally justifiably, uh, justifiable and hilarious. Um, As, as for, well, and I guess maybe to stick with him too, to me, the other kind of notable aspect of him in this episode is the fact that he, doesn't talk about it or confront it or even mention it until the very end um his kind of as as usual with with brooding angel his response to frustration is to kind of draw in on himself and just kind of isolate his own feelings and his own reactions from the people around him um Mm. 
doesn't necessarily change his choices and his behavior. The fact that he springs immediately into action to go rescue Connor and, you know, is, is clearly motivated by these parental feelings of love and responsibility. Um, he's not so angry as to abandon his son, which kind of contrasts him to like almost every other father in the other episode we're talking about here. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> sure. so like he, he can separate his personal feeling of anger from his actual actions in this particular instance. But as soon as it's over, he goes right back into sullen brooding, you know, um, you know, get, get, get the hell out of my house kind of dad. Mm -hmm. Um, which has been his reaction before. Like that was kind of what he told Connor sort of at the beginning of the season, wasn't it? Like after he rescued, after they rescued him from the bottom of the ocean, he had a similar kind of like, I love you, but get out of my house reaction to that, sure. which this kind of echoes, I think. Yeah. Um, Anything else about, like, Angel before I switch over to Cordy and Connor? No, I I mean, yeah, just reiterate, I guess, like you said, like, his, he sort of dons a, uh, you know, we'll talk about it later attitude, um, and then never really gets around to talking about it. I mean, when push comes to shove, like, he just kind of tells her to get out, right? right. So... Yeah, it's it's definitely that. I mean, maybe he just needs some time to be alone and process his feelings, I guess. <laughs> but, like, he doesn't get that in this episode. So, like, there's never really a, mm -hmm. a, a good time to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Cordy mm -hmm. um, and Connor... <laughs> so uh, you know not not predictable in a in a I don't necessarily mean this as a criticism but I feel like expected in terms of their reactions of like he's totally all about this and like thrilled and glowing the next morning and she's kind of like so you know like about that um yeah and that was nice but right it was nice one time but let's like don't don't get any ideas or be making a habit out of this um which like i mean i don't know there's still some elements of it for me that are a bit forced like i hated that line or I don't know if I hate the line or the way she delivered it but when she says to Angel he's a sweetie pie like the way that that comes out it's just a bit it's a bit much like I'm I'm trying to be open-minded about Connor and talk myself into not like wanting to just write him off because so... no no wait wait hold on I don't <laughs> want to just write him off because I've been told to, right? Like, trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. He has a point of view. He's been screwed over in many aspects of his life. Like, kind of grew up 
with like a really bizarre father sure. mentor figure in a hell dimension and was raised to hate his own father like the kid has issues he has reasons to have them and everything i don't know that you can call him a sweetie pie though like that seems like a level of i don't know like are we talking about the same connor here um and i don't know maybe the writing trying to make her sound a bit more smitten than i really believe that she could be in this situation well and and it's i mean it's contrary to what we see with her and connor like right, right. she right, doesn't seem to be calling of... him sweetie pie when they're alone together like right. she's kind of pushing him away so yeah like i don't i don't disagree like necessarily with any of that i you know so okay without giving away like future stuff i think i've already said like well i know i've already said the Connor story is one of the most hated in like all of Buffy dub. Yeah. <laughs> Buffy verse fandom, right? Like, and obviously when I said it, I was kind of being intentionally misleading when I was talking about, cause like I said this back when like he was a baby mm-hmm. and you were like, why? He's just a baby. Like, right. What's, what's the big deal? I'm like, this yeah, is, babies this... are in TV shows are always kind of lame, but like no more so than any other baby. You know? I mean, the, the, we're we're getting into the why of that, sure. right? Like, yeah, yeah. and I I think you're picking up. I I just want to verify that like you're not the only one who feels this way, and like it's not just a like on your first time viewing. You're no, and about and I kind of and I just don't want to um, I don't want to get too caught up in that if if I'm reacting in a way that I that I'm expected to feel by you know the fans like I want to try to like be as objective as I can in terms of what's my own reaction to it you know keeping sure everyone else's opinion and so like I, I yeah I mean I can see Cordy um having sympathy for Connor's point of view and maybe understanding him or having more empathy for him than than the other characters do um you know it's that weird mixture of is this a parental or a romantic relationship which is not quite clearly defined um sure and i don't know that it's intentionally so you know like like I think I kind of said last time, I feel like I'm, I feel as though I'm expected to sense some sort of chemistry here that, um, you know, I don't know that there really is between the characters or between the actors. Right. Um, so like when you, when she says, is he a sweetie pie? Like, is that the kind of thing you say about someone's kid? Like, oh, your little toddler son is such a sweetie pie. Or is that something you say about, like... But she delivers it as if she's saying it kind of about her lover. Mm-hmm. But then she, she's also not necessarily trying to let Angel know that she feels that way about Connor. So it just feels very confused um, in the way that it's presented. So... um. Yeah. So yeah, mixed messages from yep. from Cordy and from the writing there. 
Um, you know, and yeah, she's kind of letting him know that she needs to keep her distance, but also, um, the first to be worried about him, the first to make sure he's okay when he gets back, goes straight to him to give him the hug, like even quicker than she checks on Angel. It's more like, is Connor okay and everything. So like, I feel like I'm kind of being led to believe in some ways that that's more where her her attention and her focus is. Um, even as she's kind of saying that that's not the case. So, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess we'll kind of see we'll have to see how much that continues. Um, she's certainly mortified when Angel finds out, you know, like, you know. And sure. I think, again, for all the same reasons that Angel's bothered by it, like, it's not just that she feels like she's betraying her relationship with Angel, but it's the fact of, like, who she's betraying it with, you know? And I think there's some in the way she kind of says like, oh God, at the end, there's some like shame attached there. It's not just that like, oh, he found out, darn it. And I didn't mean him to. It's like maybe kind of realizing from his point of view from the first time, what the implications of this are. Um, sure. So yeah. And like, like, you know, in such a kind of, troll move he just like lays it out there and leaves like you know kind of does it in in the most um spiteful way possible like to let her know that he knows like t just tells her and then runs before she can respond and they can talk about it so kind of wanting to leave her with that and make her squirm a bit mm -hmm. All right, on from one awkward romantic entanglement to the next. Um, yeah. So I mean, now, a few of them yeah. going on, right? Like, yes. <laughs> like, there's so, no happy relationships at the moment. No, no. Lauren's the only one who's kind of free of all of this, like, all of these <laughs> of shenanigans at the yeah. moment. Um. Yeah, he's just sipping his uh, drink in the corner. Sipping, sipping his Mai Tais and hanging out. And I like that, like, <laughs> I kind of like a character that's, like, uh, in, like, knowingly and voluntarily kind of, I don't want to say a coward, at least physically, like, not the fighter, but, like, kind of not judged for that. It's, like, just, he's very clear about what he's not sure. and it's just sort of fine that like you know like it's kind of just expected of like he's what does he say like i can't remember what he sergeant stay at home um <laughs> right you know and that's just like well all right like you know that's kind of what everybody expected like probably wouldn't have made him go anyway so um anyway uh that's all I have for Lauren, really. I didn't even really put him into the notes. I didn't either, but that's fine. Yeah. Um. All right. So the other like romantic rhombus or whatever we're calling it um, 
is Fred and Gunn. <laughs> Fred and Gunn and Wesley yeah, and a, Lila. It's not a love triangle. It's a romantic rhombus. Yeah. I like it. It sounds sexy. Um, um, all right. Fred and Gunn. All right. So it's a kind of, so it's kind of a two triangles, but a kind of in different permutations here. Because so you have Gunn and Fred and Wesley. Mm -hmm. um who like you know there's no pairing between the three of them that doesn't have tension right like right you know there's wesley's unrequited feelings for fred and then there's the you know the result of that being distrust and you know anger and tension between gunn and wesley but then you also have Fred and Gunn having like had some spats recently and they're kind of hitting some bumpy patches in the fact that, you know, Gunn killed somebody for Fred recently. Like in this episode, they kind of are just relieved to see each other and, and kind of get over that fight. But also like that fight was never resolved. So you definitely get the sense that it's kind of been, that's a can that's getting kicked down the road. Um, sure. So, and even in this, like, even though the fight's forgotten and they're, you know, relieved to see each other, there's still some of that tension, like Fred kind of snapping at him when he's tapping the paper, you know, like his kind of nervous energy, you know, gets on her nerves and she tells him to cut it out. Like you get that sense of like when the honeymoon period's a little over and you start to just sort of get on each other's nerves pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, well, and it's, it's interesting. Cause like right at the beginning of the episode, it's like, like they're both very worried because they were apart. Right. And you get like gun, like, Oh, all I could think about was you. And you know, Fred was like, Oh, you know, I ran back here and you were gone. And then it's like, yeah, that very quickly sort of fades. Yeah. Like you said, and in, into the sort of annoyance and, mm -hmm. you know, frustration at like the sniping between right. Gunn and Wesley. Right, right. So that's another layer of tension is is her annoyance at the tension between the other two. Mm -hmm. So yeah. like and and vice versa, like no no single one of them can help but pick up on the tension between the other two, which just adds a whole nother layer of confusion and frustration and everything. Yeah. Um well, and even like, because I feel like between Gunn and Wesley, Gunn is the more direct in sort of his barbs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's also like a very sort of smug, like, I'm taking the moral high ground, which itself is almost, in in, in Wesley, I mean, mm -hmm. um, which itself is almost Wesley like, smug. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but I mean, like, yeah. it's like, even like the way he, it's like can you see how high my ground is here? Right, like, right. you know, yeah. like, you know, by sort of like the I'm pointedly not, not responding, level. you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, with regard to that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I get it most when like he comes back and he's like trying to tell them about Wolfram and Hart and you get like gun, like, Oh, well I've heard worse things. And Wesley's like, everybody's, being killed by the beast and it's like 
oh, like, you know, and it's just that very, he's not directly, like, saying something to Gunn, but he is kind of at the same time sort of, like, chastising him Mm. for, like, you know, his sort of flippancy and and Mm -hmm. whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, So. No, and, and, I mean, the only other moment I want to point out being when um, Gunn gets, you know, bitten by the, by one of the zombies, and there's that moment of, like, you know, it's almost a, it's a jab that then turns into a moment of camaraderie where it's like, don't let me be one of those things, you know, for very long. Oh, no problem. Like I'll kill you. No problem. But also like the sense of there's a sense of they would be doing each other a favor there of like, you know, like it's kind of a threat, but it's not like, it's not meant as a threat. It's meant as a, if something happens to you, I'll take care of it. And vice versa. Like that when in a moment of crisis, they kind of can trust each other. Like they might not trust each other personally, but like if they're under attack from zombies, it's not like they don't trust each other in a fight. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's still a sense of like, okay, we're on the same side, even if there's personal unresolved business between us. Um, for all Wesley's fraternizing with the enemy, they don't not trust him in a crisis setting to kind of fight for their side and do the right thing, which is sort of interesting given the fact that they've completely like ostracized him. From, like it, yeah. it's not that they don't trust him, you know, in some ways. Um, or the distrust only really goes so yeah. far. Um, well, you get that at least, at least between like Angel and Wesley, there seems to be an understanding, like, right. And like, it's not like Wesley hasn't had plenty of opportunities to like also do bad things, like mm-hmm. in the court. So like, maybe he's a little more ready to forgive than like Gunn, who kind of does have a little more righteous attitude mm-hmm. about his fight, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he hasn't done bad things either, but like maybe still needs to kind of ponder, <laughs> which right. isn't like Wesley's West, more isn't aware like, of his mistakes. And, Gun, yeah, yeah. Gun's not the ponderer, right? Like he's the fighter. Like right. that's kind of his thing from the beginning. Right. And so, um, yeah, like, like you get the comments of like Gun being like, "What's your problem?" And Wesley's, you know. I had my throat slit and my friends all abandoned me (laughs) like comments like that where like, like that might like jump out at gun, but then like, he also seems to have forgotten it Mm. again, you know, like, like that, Hey, Wesley kind of has the chip on his shoulder is at least like partially legitimate, (laughs) like, you know, for whatever reason. And, um, gun doesn't see that. Right. He just sees like, this guy wants to steal my woman kind of stuff and and kind of reduces everything to that um and of course like none of them know that like i mean angel knows about him and lila but like they don't know that like he just broke up with lila right right? and that like he's like i'm choosing the good side and right that kind of stuff that isn't I mean, it's not something Wesley says to anyone other than Lila. So, like, they don't know any of that. But there is, 
that sort of like also like the question of like how do you know all of this intel about Wolfram and Hart and mm-hmm. how to get in and out and like whatever that is just sort of like Angel's much more willing to just use the information kind of on the face value of it to rescue Connor and not like go too deep into it but like you get like sort of gun I mean, Gunn doesn't bring it up explicitly, but you can see him being, like, maybe a little more... His suspicion, yeah. Yeah, skeptical about, like, what yeah. Wesley's role in all of this really is. Right, what's he up to when he's not here? Like, where does he get this? What's going on with him? Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that he's, you know, saying these things to Lila without the others present, you know, is that thing of... You're what are your actions when you think nobody's looking, you know, right. like he's not doing it to impress anybody or make a point, um, you know, or win back the good opinion of his, his old friends. It's, you know, you, you're, you're led to believe the sincerity because he's not saying it to them of, Oh, I, you know, I'm back on the right side. I'm, I'm redeeming myself and, and, choosing the good like the fact that he's saying it to lila and making these choices that the others don't even know about makes it seem even more genuine Mm -hmm. sure um but we should talk about him and lila yeah right so he uh i believe a day of reckoning has arrived he's he's saying um and i'm choosing a side and she, like Gunn, kind of sees this all boils down to his feelings for Fred. Um, but she, you know, he doesn't necessarily, did, he says this isn't about Fred, but I, I don't know that he totally denies that there's any of those feelings at all. It's just that that's not why he's making this decision right here and now. Um that this is about right and wrong, which, you know, we can believe him or not, but, um, sure. Yeah. But he comes back to find her after the attack start. He has a source of some kind, right? Like a guy, he has a man on the inside, um, who kind of tips him off. And, which isn't that surprising. Like, we know, like, everyone at Wolfram and Hart is corruptible. So, like, yeah, he wouldn't sure. be willing to, like, take a few bucks to yeah. call him if something goes down, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I think Wesley is... I don't know that, you know, Lila is the number one priority in Wesley's life, let's say that. But... I don't think he's without feeling or affection for her either. Um, You know, as this shows that like, I mean, he comes back to find her, right? Like there's no reason for him to go in there. He he, he has his source. He knows what's going on. You know, he could have gone straight for the reinforcements before going in. The fact that he goes in, I think, like, it's only to find Lila. Like, there's really no other... Yeah, he doesn't... There's really no other purpose to it. And, and like, not only that, but he he 
doesn't even know that Connor's in there until after he and Lila get out. So like, right. Like, like he might have a source on the inside, but the source didn't either didn't know about Connor or didn't know like that Connor was someone Wesley would be interested in knowing about or, you know, something along those lines. He doesn't like, he clearly does not go there to save Connor the first time um, by himself. He, and he doesn't seem to be there. Like he's not there to fight the beast because he doesn't like he avoids him. Right. Yeah. (laughs) As much as possible. And he's not there to like, apparently take advantage of the situation of like, Oh, everyone's dying at Wolfram and Hart. Why don't I go steal like the ancient manuscripts that I've always wanted to get my hands on, you Mm -hmm. know, in the building. Presumably there are some in there that he would like to get his hands on. I don't, I don't know. Um, At least we don't see that if he, if it's something that like, there's no, like, there's nothing there where it's like, Oh, I happen to be like in Wolfram and Hart and I might as well like save Lila too. Like she clearly seems to be the reason he's going into the building mm-hmm. in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. Like, as much as he might profess that he's choosing a side, and, and like, I don't, I don't think he's lying. Like, I think he does choose a side. There's still an element of care for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other way around, too. Like, I, I mean... Right, the fact that she tells him about Connor is, is the reciprocation of that. Yeah. Of, like, her doing a thing which is not in in any way part of her own self-interest. That, like... Well, and I even think when she shows up at his door, like, you could read that as, in a couple different ways, I guess. You know, I, I, it seems to me like she's genuinely happy to see that he has made it through the apocalypse okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or the reign of fire, or whatever you want to call it. And that, like, she seems genuinely upset. And not, like, upset in a, oh, shoot, I was, you know, developing you as, like, a source, <laughs> you know, kind of upset, and you're not, you know, you're not longer. Like, she seems, like, genuinely concerned about him and and likes him even knowing that like she's not his first choice yeah um and seems genuinely upset when he breaks up with her Mm -hmm. so i think i think there definitely is a uh yeah a, a genuineness to their you know I don't know if relationships the right word because they broke up, but like <laughs> to their, you, you know, affections for each other, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's necessarily enough to like have them stay together, but it's, sure. I think it's, it's there. Um, even if it started out as sort of like a bunch of hate relations. Yes. <laughs> sure. Um, Yeah, Yeah, and so he, you know, she seems to be, at least of the people in the building, like, one of, if not the sole survivor of, you know, the Wolfram and Hart uh, employee roster. So, um, and 
Wesley kind of seems to think at least that she would continue to be a target. So he kind of tells her to run and change her name and everything. So, um, leaves that open to see where it goes. I would expect that we'll see more of her. I don't think that's the last we'll see, but right. you know, we'll find out. Sure. Like, is this a, a Christian Kane situation? I forgot his name. Lindsay. Man, I don't know why I forgot his name. Right. But uh, like, like, yeah, is this like a Lindsay thing where like he's going to skip town and we never see him again? Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect you're right. <laughs> but you can neither confirm nor deny. Um, all right. Well, and, like, also, like, what is her role now going to be at Wolfram and Hart as, like, the only one who survives? Right, like, well, what, is there Wolfram and Hart left? Well, we know that there's other branches. Right, In, in like, other dimensions and stuff, and... That's true. Yeah, and I meant, like, more specifically this this branch Um, like does it continue as a right as an entity um right yeah i mean that's what i mean like like she's literally the only survivor well i mean um, unless there were like people at home when the attack happened right like i mean presumably like they don't all work all the time no and that's what i'm saying like there's maybe other survivor but but like for all intents and purposes it seems like the branch is pretty much destroyed um So, and, well, like, I don't know if we want to get into, like, the ending there yet. Um, um, I mean, we can. I was going to transition into, like, the, the plot and the mythology and everything, but. um. Yeah, well, so maybe, okay, yeah, that's fine. I mean, so. But you can say whatever you wanted to say. Well, I was just going to say, like. Well, with the girl, right? The 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 little girl that is an old evil thing that just likes to pretend it's a little girl, mm-hmm. right? Um, gets killed, and so this is uh, so. Crap! I don't remember how much we've actually. Wh- what do you remember about the little girl? <laughs> I was actually going to ask you to like remind me of what do we know so far about this little girl. We haven't seen. Which we, haven't, we don't so, know much. I don't think we only saw her one other time, right? Yeah. Once yes. before. Um, the time when Angel broke into Wolfram and Hart. Yeah. And captured Linwood. Yeah. Who took him up to the White Room mm-hmm. and saw the little girl. Yeah. And like, it was like, where's Connor? Point me, you know, yeah. to my infant son so I can find him. Yeah. Stuff. Um, right. And that's the only other time we've seen Right. Her. And so she actually, has some relationship to, like, the senior partners, but we don't so know this, quite what. Right. So this is why, yeah, this is where I was going. Like, I wasn't sure how much you remember. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I'll just say, she, this being that looks like a little girl mm-hmm. is a conduit to the senior. So, like, the creature isn't one of the senior partners itself, but it's right. like how people at Wolfram and Hart know what the senior partners want. Mm, kind of thing. Right. Like, you know, the speaker for or whatever. Right. The mouth of the Which, senior partners. Yeah. Um, and actually, real quick, just want to talk about the actress. Because, uh, obviously, 
young girl here. Um, this isn't her first role. Um, she had a few things before that, including um, was apparently some voices in Monsters, Inc. Not like any of the main ones, obviously, but like some various like additional voices is what it says on IMDb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. But um, she's gone on to do uh, quite a few things. Um, she starred in the show Summerland um, a couple years after her appearance here on Angel, which it, which was like a kid show. I don't know what channel or whatever. Um, also had a recurring role on, um, I don't know if you ever saw the show, Phil of the Future. Um, mm -hmm. You know, another sort of like kid show and, and, and had a bunch of those types of um, appearances. Those are like kind of the two main ones. She had a... a bunch of just sort of one-off um things but uh Kay Panabaker is her name and so she more recently um is known for one of the main um students in the reboot of the movie Fame the 2009 mm -hmm. reboot um I don't know if you remember that I I don't think it did that well so like maybe that's not a great thing I vaguely um, remember it, it it existing but I don't think I yeah. never saw it no um and then has has been on uh, a recurring character on like CSI and um, No Ordinary Family, which I don't I don't know that one, but um, so she's been on quite a few things. Um, has gone on to do a bunch of stuff. Her it, maybe a little more interestingly, um, not that she's not interesting enough, but like her sister Danielle, um, who's a few years older than her, um, is currently one of the co-stars on the show The Flash. Um, and uh, also uh, appeared alongside David Boreanaz in a couple episodes of Bones. Um, so uh, just kind of throwing that out there. But um, yeah, so Kay Panabaker, I mean, she's still out there acting mm -hmm. and doing stuff. Um, and this is kind of one of her, her early roles here as a dying evil creature. <laughs> um, she's pretty creepy. So yeah. good for her. Yeah, the yeah. the creepy little girl vibe. Yeah, <laughs> works. It's, uh, she, the creepy little girl vibe is strong with with this, with one. this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so. yeah, and I like the design of the white room and um, and that image of the beast sort of crouching over her. Like that's a very striking kind of yeah and image and everything. That's very like, memorable and effective stealing something from her like some yeah, kind of essence or, out of her. Yeah. or whatever like we don't know what that is but like clearly right it doesn't seem to be life force because like she's still kind of alive when mm -hmm. it like stands up and is like coming after angel and, and the team so like right she at least has enough power to like send them away right um which is kind of um the way all the mythology is in, in this episode of it, it just hints at things. It doesn't like, we don't really learn anything definitively. Everything is sort of, you're presented with yeah. something people speculate and make guesses. And then the, the, we don't find out for sure if the guesses are true. Um, so we're left with like a bunch of questions, like what is the relationship between the beast and Wolfram and heart? Why is it, attacking the people of Wolfram and Hart, why wouldn't it just sort of team up together? Um, and Which is what clearly why? the senior partners think. Sure. Right? Like, right. like, Well, that's right. That's Lila's, you know. Um, 
both for selfish reasons to survive, but also like as a, you know, from the top down kind of approach is we should be making a deal with this thing. Um, Which, which brings up an interest. So um, I don't, I don't actually know, like, this is a a thing that I'll throw out there that could sound like I'm, I'm leading you to think a certain way and I'm not, I don't mean it that way, but like, that could be an interesting thought of like, maybe the beast isn't actually evil. Like maybe, maybe it just seems like it's evil, but it's more like chaotic, Mm -hmm. you know, it's more like, maybe it's more like trickstery, Mm -hmm. you know, like. In that it it doesn't necessarily have a clear good or evil side. It just kind of does what it wants. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, equal punishment upon the good and the bad. Which maybe is, like, worse in a way. (laughs) Like, because, like, if if it's evil, you know, like, how to stop it and, and kind of what it's going for. And so you can fight against it. But when it's, like, sort of a wild card. Yeah maybe maybe there's an element to that well and i've doesn't somebody say something like that now i can't remember who oh maybe about like tried to pass it off as my own idea well no but there's i feel like did i write it down it's gonna be the question of somebody and maybe maybe not maybe i'm misremembering um i thought there was some sense of somebody says like why is it killing all these people? And somebody kind of says like, because it can like, like maybe there isn't. And, and very much in that idea of maybe there isn't a malevolent purpose or any kind of plan to it. It could just be, although it's not thoughtless, like it goes, it clearly targets Rolf from in heart. It clearly goes for the little girl and is sucking something from her. So it's not just like, an animal right like right if all it was doing was destroying the city i think it would be easier to make that argument but it seems to have some sort of like intelligence behind it um but the fact that it targets wolfram and hart who are the bad guys kind of could mean that like are we making assumptions as to whose side this thing is on or if that side is good or evil or what um I mean, I mean, it did yeah. rain fire onto LA. Right. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, it rained fire <laughs> on like every on the good and the bad alike. Yes. And it didn't like. Has the beat? Has it spoken at all? It says Connor. It knows oh, yes. Connor. <laughs> which is another thing right. we learned. But that's is... all it said so far, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's it. So, so it can speak. But there's also, like, this, like, it does sort of just, like, a lot of, like, knowing grinning and, like, Mm -hmm. slow, slowly, like, but inexorably moving towards whatever target. And, like, it does have, like, you're right, it does have a purpose of being at Wolfram and Hart. And, And, like, that's at least the conclusion, like, Angel and Team come to, right, of, like, like, it was there to kill the girl and and steal whatever it was stealing from her um but like it could have it could have done that like in a direct line mm-hmm. like like not nobody at uh wolfram and hart could have stopped it if it had just chosen to like go directly to the elevator press the right buttons and 
right. do what it needed right. like to do. Right, like the destruction is it, part of the point. Yeah, but like it did like choose to check all of the conference rooms and offices right. and make sure everybody was dead first. Right. Like it didn't right. have to do that. Mm-hmm. But it kind of seems to have enjoyed doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, then there's the whole zombie thing. We don't know quite what's going on there. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem too concerned about it. Um, which has potentially multiple explanations. Either maybe it's causing it somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it's causing these dead people to rise back up. Or um, is it Fred who sort of suggests, or Wesley or someone, who suggests that maybe it's like, like you have the Wolferman Hart like defenses kicking in. Maybe yeah, like, I kind of like that idea that like this is part of their security is uh, if you kill us, we kill you right back. You know that kind of thing. right. Um, <laughs> to put it in the Malcolm Reynolds way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which I whether or not that's the answer, I sort of like that as an idea. That of course Wolferman Hart would build some sort of thing like that into like, their defense protocols um yeah right Especially and it's not even like, it's not a defense like maybe that, not anyone who dies in the building but right. it's like the now that like all of these other like you know everything's shutting down or whatever there's some sort of like mystical yeah tripwire that right you know and, and i like that it's a it's a security system that doesn't actually save the lives of their employees it just gets vengeance on the people who did this you know like so it's like right. it's not really an employee benefit so much it's more like just an insurance policy for the company um but i mean it's possible that this is a beast after effect too like in like is it creating some sort of undead army for itself like you know, like there could be like a Game of Thrones White Walkers thing there of the more people I kill, the more zombies are on my side, you know? So it's this ever expanding, you know, dark army sort of idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, and there's not much to say because it is all just sort of speculation um, by sure. the characters and, and us at this point. Like, Yeah, is there anything else to speculate about? Or is, I mean, I maybe that's kind of it. I mean... No, I mean, other like, we, we don't... Again, we don't know why the girl saves Angel and them. Um, but we... Oh, we didn't mention... Um, it does say something to them, right? Mm-hmm. The girl um, does say... Uh, oh, shoot, where did I put it here? Um, the answer is among you. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the question? <laughs> That's ambiguous, right? Like forty-two. No, like yeah, yeah, like right, right. Like we don't know. And and among you, like is that among the group that's right there? Like Angel, Wesley, Gun, Fred, Connor, Connor. Like, or is it like among you? The like larger group. The larger yeah. group. Does that right. include Cordy and Lauren? Is there like some? Is there something else kind of mm. going on there? So, I mean, is it like a person? Even like, is it or is it like something they have, like an object or something? Like, so we don't know. Yeah. What that like? We don't even know what the question is. Right. 
that the right. answer let alone is. how to interpret the answer yeah right um there so yeah so it's it's just uh a lot of questions there like why would it save them um and i mean yeah we just don't know mm-hmm. we just don't know at this point so um but it but she does she does save them and sends them back to the hotel and Everyone's safe for the moment. Mm-hmm. But the beast is still out there. This. And so that's the speculation. Like, where where will it go next? What's the next thing that it's going to be looking to do? That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, and I mean... It'll be a couple of weeks before we do. Okay. Okay. So we get Buffy next. I was meaning to ask that. Um, yeah, we do. Uh, we have another Buffy episode next, and then gotcha. we do have two uh, Angel episodes after that. But gotcha. Um. Cool. Yeah, and actually, the just uh, the next Angel episode is called Long Day's Journey, mm. which of course evokes. Uh, the Eugene O'Neill play mm-hmm. uh, into night. In, into night. So you know whether that complete the thought suggests yeah. <laughs> anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but we don't. Yeah, we do have Buffy next week. Um, but before that, we should probably talk about some ESG. Yeah. I thought we were going to actually not take like a whole hour, and we I guess technically we did. We still have like two and a half yeah. minutes. Yeah. Two and a half minutes extra to talk about this BSG episode. Yeah. This extended uh, BSG episode. Indeed. Yeah. So um, I know actually you had some thoughts about that and and production notes in general. So yeah, we'll just start there. Really quick, wanted to point out that this is um, written and directed by the showrunner, Ron Moore. Um, It's the first episode he's written in a really long time since the very beginning of season three um occupation and precipice were the last episodes that are credited to him um don't know why that is if that was for a reason or not my understanding is that he was involved in the writing of the show in general like in the writer's room i don't think he left i mean maybe he was working on multiple projects but um i'm not really sure if there's a reason why he didn't write scripts but um but he does come back with this one. And he also directed this episode. Um, and it's his first, uh, his directorial debut, first directing credit ever. ever. Um, and the only other one that he has, according to IMDb, is um, an episode of Caprica. Um, so um, he hasn't gone on to, you know, do a ton of that. But, um, you know, he did, he did do this. So good for him. Um, and uh, yeah, this is one of the extended ones on the DVDs um, or on the Blu-rays. Um, I was kind of saying of the extended episodes, this is the one that for me benefits least from the extended bits. Um, I th- there might be more Pegasus and um, the boxing one. I can't remember what it's called, or the other two that leap to mind, mm. um, which I felt like both are, are very good in their extended form. Like, 
using that to really get into the weird bizarro BSG stuff with Pegasus, I think is a good use of its time and, um, and getting the extended flashbacks and character interactions of um, the boxing episode, I think worked really well. In this, there's a couple scenes where you feel like, okay, maybe there's a reason that was on the cutting room floor. Um, so I don't think it's, it's not terrible, but like, I, I actually think it might be a little bit better in its original broadcast version. Mm. Um, you know, but I don't think it, it's only like, what, like 50 minutes or something. It's not hugely. Yeah, it's extended. not like. So there's right. really only a couple cut scenes that they put back in. They didn't really change it that much. Um, And I did, I do think it's interesting that like, this is the episode that yeah. is extended. Yeah. Like, because it's, it's the second episode of the season. And I don't the know. the second half of the season, I mean. I wonder what that has to do with Ron Moore directing it, you know? Right. Like, if it was him kind of playing around with the editing and wishing he'd had time to, you know, use things that end up getting cut or, you know, like, I want... Because it is kind of an odd choice. Um, Yeah, like, I would have expected... The last episode maybe mm -hmm. to have been extended yeah. over this one. Um the last one I mean the last episode, the like that last actual episode, not the like the webisodes that right, right, right. Yeah, last yeah. week. Right. Um so yeah, and that, I mean, whatever. Like we can talk about maybe the one or two scenes that we think could have been, <laughs> you know, candidates to cut. I don't actually remember I mean, because I saw the broadcast versions, um, and I, I don't remember, though, well yeah. enough to, like, recall what was cut and what wasn't. Um, yeah, and I, I've seen it more recently than you have, but there's one or two scenes that I know are added in, but there's more that I don't remember which is which. Um, I, I would have, and I didn't do that. I would have had to go back and watch both, and... Um, and that's fine. That just like didn't I, I mean, happen this week, so yeah, it's okay. It's fine. I I forgive you. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I mean, I totally could have done that too. Like, and I didn't. So, uh, there is one scene that I'll definitely mention when we get to it later that I think you you already confirmed before we started recording that was that you thought was one that was yeah not in the broadcast. Anyway, um, so. I want to um, kind of like maybe it's like a two pronged approach here, right? So like, there's some stuff that I think just we can just talk about like sort of the couple characters and get them sort of out of the way first. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't mean that in a mean way, but like, like that they don't talk, they don't really touch except like very tangentially. Mm -hmm to the rest of like the plot stuff yeah um, and that in particular that's Roslyn and Baltar um I mean you get some stuff like obviously Roslyn like meets with Adama and like the hallway and stuff like when he's like right you know right after he's yelling at Fedorsky and stuff like that but like then like with Baltar you get like the fight but even like Baltar himself is just kind of like sitting off in the corner, like pointedly looking away, like not even like expressly like removing himself from the situation. So even that it's like, 
you can't really say like he's involved in it. So like, oh, and you know what? Like that just made me realize how much um, it's putting the two of them in parallel, which like Rosalind would hate. You know that like there's any comparison sure. to be made about how she's that... handling this situation and how maybe she's criticized Baltar for handling situations where he's been in a leadership position and hasn't really taken full responsibility <laughs> for the things, yeah. you know. It's like, yeah. oh, man, that makes it, like, even exactly, more excruciating. Yeah. yeah. It, right. Doesn't exactly grasp the bull by the horn, so to speak. No. Um, and she totally channels that here. Oh, yeah. I mean, I and I think... Like, how yeah. much, even though she's not involved in the plot... How well, much of what's going on here is kind of her fault. <laughs> you know? and, and so I had I had picked up on like the theme of the episode as fatherhood, but you pointed out that like really it's parenthood mm. um, because of Rosalind. Like in particular, you've got uh, there's sort of like two takes on parenthood um, that we see across a couple of different characters um like like broadly speaking they're you know they're how much one or you know specific character uh represents each of these takes like we can talk about and maybe there's crossover and, and bleed through and and whatever but um like rosin and baltar do both sort of epitomize if we're considering them sort of like parents of a sort or like mm -hmm. metaphorical parents anyway Roslyn of like the fleet and Baltar of his sheep his flock right um then there is there is an abdication of parental duty mm -hmm. that they both sort of exhibit here and um Sort of, sort of the one that bleeds through the most of those would be like that we can talk about later uh, is Tyrrell, right? Of mm. wanting to do that, but then like sort of not being able to in the end. Mm -hmm. And so you get you get the um, sort of tension between like abdication of of duty as a parent and embracing of duty as a parent, which. I mean, there's then, like, the hot dog's flip side of that is, like, he didn't know, like, in a way he sort of abdicated because, mm -hmm. but, like, that was, like, by default because, like, he didn't even know he was a parent. So, yeah. like, yeah, that's, like, abdication maybe isn't quite the right word there. But, like, once he learns, like, he at least is, to <laughs> my much mocking of hapless hot dog <laughs> over the course of the several seasons, like, to his credit, like, yeah. he at least, like, sticks around and seems, at least initially, like, I mean, I guess we can keep an eye on him, but, like, at least, like, initially seems willing to, like, take on the role of mm -hmm. father. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, unlucky as he may be in other matters, like, at least, like, he seems to have a good heart mm -hmm. <laughs> when it counts. So, right. um, it, and I, I would say, like, he like he and Tyrrell are sort of like the those bleed through elements, right? Mm -hmm. Of like that pivot point of where like trying to decide do you abdicate, do you right. embrace? And then um I think you you get a couple of examples on the other side too, of Ty, um, with the whole sonogram and like 
Cabrica six and like kind of that's brief, but I think like you get the sense there of like an engaged father, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or soon to be father or whatever. And, um, the other one I would, the other one I would point to is of course, um, well, real briefly, actually, I would point to Hilo. Mm. You get that very brief sort of commiseration between fathers of Hilo in the hallway. Like, after, after like, the big meeting or whatever, it's like, oh, hey, by the way, how's your kid doing? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And, and you know, we'll, we'll, you'll both be in our prayers. Like, it's that very, like, like we've seen Hilo being the engaged and, and yeah. you know, embracing father already. And so there's sort of that aspect of it. Um but I think Adama is another of that bleed through where like you're getting kind of the sense of like he wants to abdicate, but he's still kind of like he's still the old man, right? He's still the one yeah. kind of in charge and, and being fatherly, but maybe gets a little less so throughout the episode, or at least allows himself to sort of be tempted by Rosalind like is that a good way to put it like sure uh, yeah like I think if all the others are contrasting or commenting on the state of fatherhood it's like Adama is the one that's like on the journey in the episode of what kind of father is he being like and yeah like I think there's a change there of like the engaged but tired and frustrated father at the beginning Mm -hmm. to the the disengaged one at the end the fact that like and and we can talk about the end in more detail but like there's a decision being made and that has to do with like yeah like do you care no neither do i you know like that's a decision to to emotionally disengage i think um yeah um and so the more metaphorical last example i would give um of an engaged father which maybe we hope wouldn't be engaged is zarek um Mm -hmm. maybe more of a mentorship than a father Mm -hmm. but i mean a good father i guess would also be a mentor Mm -hmm. um you know to gata there at the end so there there's definitely um but not just to gata like even like to the people who re- revolt on the Tilium ship. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like right. you know, well, you do what right. you need to do and, and kind of... Yeah. We can talk about Zarek too later. So I, yeah. I didn't... No, I don't want to that's get into a really good point, individual. though. The way that, like... Yeah. No, and it's hard, because I do want to get into detail about that. But the way that the leadership and parenthood are blended there, that, like, you know, Gaeta as representative of a wider issue in the fleet, you know? Mm-hmm. So like include the Tilium ship in that and, and many more people who are feeling the same way as the child figure crying out for some sort of parental authority here. And if they're not getting it from Adama, they're going to get it from Zarek, you know, like looking for mm-hmm. guidance and wherever they can find it. Um, and Zarek is sort of, stepping into a void there um yeah so yeah right and adama kind of leaving the fleet vulnerable to that by his disengagement i think adama and Rosalind together yeah so yeah um let's go back to Rosalind because that's where i want to start so i want to start with 
her and Baltar. And I don't think we need to spend long on either of them, but mm-hmm. I do think like their stories are a little more detached from the overall plot. Right. Um, Rosalind, that's if, kind of the point. You know, it's like her disengagement with well, everything. Well, I, I think both of them that kind of, yeah. even though, I mean, Baltar is more engaged, I guess, because he at least is out there talking to people, but mm-hmm. there's also a, a deep sense of sort of disengagement with them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Rosalind, yeah. I mean, yeah. I And I don't have a ton with her. I mean, you get her sort of like, doing her thing of like counting out like all the different pills she has to take and then just kind of being like, ah, screw it and shoving them into the trash can. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, implying, which we had already gotten from her. I thought that she had stopped her treatments. So I guess I don't, maybe is this like a symbolic? Uh, I think like, I think it's that she kind of, that she did skip a treatment in the previous episode, but maybe it's kind of really run like bringing it home that well, she's not going at all. Like this isn't just a momentary moment of depression that it's a, this is an extended choice that, um, sure. and that's starting to have consequences because the energy that she feels right, is right. a result of that. So I, I guess I took like, so you like the scene where she's like burning the pages of mm-hmm. the Pythian prophecies and stuff, right? Adama says something like, you know, you have to have your, you know, blocks and treatment. And she's like, I really don't. I guess I took that as like a definitive, mm-hmm. like, I'm done taking them. But I, like, I see what you mean. Sure, like maybe, right. maybe that was just more like, yeah, like, I just don't feel like it today, you know, temporary. Mm-hmm depression or disillusion or whatever you want to call that um so i i guess i see what you're saying like this is like this is more deliberate this is like i've had a few days to think about it and i still like Mm -hmm. this is too many pills i'm just it's not worth it to me and so yeah right so um like you said like the the effect the the immediate effect is like oh well now i don't have all these poisons like slowing me down and stuff in my body so like i feel real good but of course that also means the poisons aren't killing the cancer in your body so like there's going to be a flip at some point and that's sort of that we learn that from from adama but it's really like coddle Hmm. who's saying it right like through him um but yeah i mean she seems to be feeling better she seems to like part of that feeling better is like the whole like i want to live for today and calling back to their new caprica Mm -hmm. when when they didn't have the responsibilities they have now because Mm -hmm. they weren't in charge anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) like yeah you know they they kind of could relax and smoke some weed out by the river and right talk about the cabin that they're going to build and yeah. yeah um right so so yeah like she's kind of on an endorphin high i guess at this point or mm-hmm. or a lack of endorphin suppression high i don't know what like the right chemical reaction there is actually but um yeah it does it, i mean she there is certainly a manic sort of feeling to it mm-hmm. um 
Yeah. If we saw her depressed before, and then this would be like that opposite mm-hmm. um, part of it. And, and, but is also sort of really persuasive in it and talking to Adama, like um, we kind of alluded to before of, Hey, don't I deserve to like, just be happy for a while. Like didn't don't haven't I earned mm-hmm. some happiness and Oh, by the way, you have too. Mm-hmm. like, um, right. It's hard to tell someone no in that situation of like somebody who's dying of cancer, who's as soon as ever since she found out she was dying of cancer has been living for the fleet to lead them and find them a home. How do you tell that person, you know, quit your belly aching and go to work? Right. Like, you know, that's takes a stronger personality than I have to confront somebody in that situation. And, and especially for Adama, who's feeling similarly himself, like she's, he's trying not to be tempted, but she's saying all the stuff that he wants to do anyway. Like, He's tired too, you know. He's not literally dying, but um, but there's still that ongoing idea of lay down your burdens. Can't we just rest for like a moment, you know? Um, and and, and that we've earned that rest. Sure. I mean, but of course, the question there becomes: is like, if things had gone their way, and like they had found a nice, beautiful clean earth would that would she be doing the same thing Mm. or would she be like no i need to be the leader you know until like until we've actually built our colony here Mm. like i'll continue to lead the people like right or i need to stay on my medication so that i can live as long as possible like even though she's enjoying she's living before she dies well you're gonna die a lot quicker this way maybe like you know, you don't know that, but there's like, there's a, she's sacrificing her long-term survival for what feels good right now. Sure. Sure. Which, which I think like where the running comes in, like, yes, it's joyful and freeing, but also like running from your problems, you know, like that's kind of literally what she does is run throughout the whole episode. There's a fleeing of reality, which is kind of what Zarek is saying, you know? (laughs) I mean, on the other hand though, there's that argument of quality of life over length of life. And is there, uh, I, I mean, there's a valid argument maybe to be made of, I'd rather live, a shorter amount of time but feel better sure. during that period of time than extend my life but you know feel sort of hazy and gross and vomity and right. whatever else comes along with the side effects of the drugs that give you that longer life so yeah i you know and that's i mean yeah like you i would have a hard time telling someone where and where the other i mean there's there's if it, if it was someone that I loved, of course, there's the selfish aspect of, I want you to be around as long as possible because I love you and don't want you to die. But like, is that sort of selfish reaction the right one for the person? And, right. you know, it's, it's ultimately sort of up to them. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, 
Which is interesting because, like, I mean, I mean, we talk about ambiguous stuff in the Angel episode. Like, I mean, I feel like this is along those lines there. Like, she is abdicating her responsibilities. So there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And sort of her parental role as it has been since we've, almost since we first saw her, right? Like, since shortly after we first saw her way back on Caprica. Um she seems to be abdicating that. But, like, there's also a point of, like, there's a time for when maybe you should step down. Mm-hmm. And is she doing it 100% right? Like, maybe there's a better way. Maybe it's like, okay, I'm not going to make it till, like, the next election, but, like, maybe we should hold a special election or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Versus just, like, letting go of everything and sort of letting Zarek take over and, and whatnot. Um, right. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't have a, a good sort of end to that. It's just kind of like, yeah, it, it, no, it's and, tough because and, and there's I'm, not. Yeah. There, this is one of the, I mean, maybe this episode is good about this, but this section of the story is, um, one of the the really good examples I think of that thing um people have talked about this show kind of excelling at which is those scenarios where like everybody's wrong and everybody's right you know that thing of where you can see exactly where someone like Rosalind is coming from but you can see the problems that that's causing and the you know the result of choices even if those are completely defensible and understandable from her point of view um and i feel like pretty much everybody in this episode has that kind of duality to them yeah yeah so i mean moving over to baltar um there's yeah, I mean, there's a similar thing, I guess, there, like we were saying before, is that, um, you know, for like the, when we first see him, like he's literally closed off from everyone except head six, I guess. And like you see like his people out there like handing out like flyers and tracks and like, you know, kind of doing their thing. But like he's just in there like, what am I even going to say to these people? Like. I don't even know. And head six is like, well, you know, God will tell you what to say. And he's like, I just make stuff up. I don't know about this God <laughs> thing. Like, um, which is like, I mean, it's their back. It's like, Oh, God has a plan. And it's like, well, I just do things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's clearly God's plan because God works through you. You and do it's things like, and they work out. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a very sort of tautological. Yeah you know, argument to all that. It's like, well, you do things and they work out. So it must have been God's plan that you were supposed to do that. It's like, uh, okay, I'm not sure if that quite works logically, but um, I guess. But um, he comes out. And so like on the whole parenting theme, like there's a really interesting, I think, duality to kind of his uh, speech here. Because on the one hand, He's talking about God, right? Like, is this, you know, uh, are you children who's transgressed your father's divine will? 
um, or you being punished for your sins and stuff. But like, I feel like there's also very much an undertone here of like Adama, mm. right? Like, like because Adama's kind of, and I mean, he says father, so I was thinking Adama, but like maybe like if we're using the broader parenting thing too, it's like the Rosalind stuff too. Like, like is this condemnation of like God and or the gods, or is it like a condemnation of like Rosalind and Adama as like purported, you know, vessels of the gods bringing you to like the yeah. promised land. Right. Um, what what it, kind of father abandons his own children to despair and loneliness? You know, that's definitely yeah. feels like a pointed, like, where are our leaders in this moment of yeah. despair and loneliness as yeah. we float around in the dark, you know? And, yeah. and I think, I think you can definitely look at his whole sort of speech there on both of those levels of like, okay, this is a condemnation of like the divine God or gods, but it's also sort of a condemnation of Adama and Rosalind and the leaders of the fleet. Um, and I, I mean, we won't have to go through it by now. I know. Mm -hmm. um, right. And yeah, with, you know, with, which again, with that, everybody's wrong. Everybody's right. There's an element of truth to that of like, this is the kind of, criticism of leaders shirking their responsibility that we've been saying but then there's also that trademark baltar you know self-centeredness in the you know perhaps we have been wronged perhaps god should come down here and beg for our forgiveness that that sense of his own martyrdom right. the fact that he's always the victim in any given situation he's never the the perpetrator of any wrongdoing yeah. um well, so that, there's there's a truth wrapped around all of his religion of narcissism that is so right. typical right that whole idea of like i can't sin because i am god and so by definition everything i do is right not sin <laughs> um right but apparently god can sin against his children right and well, and, and and he should ask for our forgiveness for you know what he's putting us through yeah well and then and then there's that double layer of hypocrisy on it of afterwards like feeling the very contempt that he is saying god feels for them right like and which head six points out like legit just says to him like mm -hmm. hey aren't you doing the exact thing you just said god was doing to us right he's kind of like yeah, you know, well, they're sheep. Like, who cares? <laughs> and very much has that abdication part to it, right? Of, mm -hmm. like, I could tell them to do anything. And it's just, like, now let me just sit and think about what I want to tell them to do. Because mm -hmm. they, they will do it. Um, which is, you know... Yeah. Empowering and dangerous, I guess, at the same time. Um yeah yeah uh so yeah so Rosalind and baltar i mean i think you're right like there is there is a sort of parallel between them but of course like Rosalind's not even doing as much as baltar is and like talking to people no and actually i was even thinking more so a parallel between Rosalind and baltar's previous presidency of like you know the, the, oh, the oh, like yeah, yeah. like more so of what kind of president was he when the when the chips are down and things got bad he kind of hid 
in his yeah. room. <laughs> you know, like kinda. <laughs> I mean, drugs, women, and right, you right. know, whatever. Right. Like, like you just interns kinda... and pills and all that. Like Rosalind doesn't have interns; she's got Adama. You know, like she's, but she's. Sure. There's a kind of like living for her own pleasure and hiding from the fleet, which you know, is not going to take too kindly to that. Um, so, yeah. Which is exactly her criticism of his presidency was, you abandoned your people when things got really bad. Um, yeah. So, anyway. So, all right, now that we've spent half our time talking about Rosalind <laughs> and Um we have a few other characters to talk about. But I so I kinda wanna switch gears though and talk more like situations or, or settings, um, mm-hmm. rather than characters per se. Um and I wanna start out in the med bay, because like well that's kind of where we do start out in. Um and you get like the three different scenarios that are kind of at the beginning here. Um and I don't know that we need to spend long on any single one, but mm-hmm. like you get Ty and Caprica Six, um, who is pregnant and having a sonogram, and you know the sort of like the typical dad thing. I don't see it. I don't see it. Where is it? And, um, you know, just again showing that sort of maybe engaged parent thing going on here, um, but also like. So you get Cavernous Six, who's really uh, laying on thick the the sort of fate of this child, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, do you know what this really is? It's the future of the entire Cylon race. No pressure, get, kid. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. And Ty's like, oh my gosh, it doesn't even have a name, and we're loading up the expectation. But you also get, like, um, uh, the assistant, uh, Ish... Ishay, 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 something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of like giving a sideline look, and like mm. I can't figure her out because like yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Like, yeah, it's, and I don't, it's pointed, isn't it? Like, I don't remember yeah. her character well enough from like watching it before to recall if like she's a significant part in like the impending mm. reckoning. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like right. Is she pro Cylon or not? Like, or not pro? Maybe pro Cylon isn't the right word. Like, is right. she anti Cylon or not? I guess is right. maybe a better right. way to put it. Like, right. like is she kind of? Is she? Is she? Uh, is is she? Like looking at at that comment and kind of thinking like, okay, this is the future of the Cylon race. Therefore, it needs to die. Right, like, the future of the silent race, which is in my hands. Yeah, right. I, I mean, or yeah, or is there? But like then again, like later, like she kind like she kind of sticks up for like uh, uh, Tyrrell and stuff, and it's like you need to tell him like right. the boy is dying, and like you need to tell. But then also, it's like well, but then she also knows that the boy is really human and not Cylon. So is she just trying to get him out of the hands of a Cylon and into mm. human hands? So like, there's right. like. Like there's rabbit holes all the way down that you could take this right mm-hmm. and and 
you know, kind of go back and forth, but they're definitely, they're, there's definitely like a significant glance. I don't know what the significance is, yeah. but like there's a significant glance that occurs um, like yeah, around yeah. that whole sonogram scene there and, and Paprika's, you know, uh yeah declaration that this child is the future of the Cylon race yeah um yeah I um think we should keep an eye on that and and I don't want to like say for sure like if I you know have an opinion one way or the other or you know not even sure if I remember specific details well enough to definitively say at this point but um I kind of took it the way you did of the combination of her two scenes with what well, were her comedy, the, all three of them. Cause she interacts with all three of these like med bay scenarios. Um, I kind of take her at least just based on these scenes as maybe like the average kind of neutral person's attitude towards the integration of Cylons into the fleet which I think is a larger question in this episode of she's not particularly anti-Cylon. Like, I think from what you were saying, like basing that on the way she treats the Tyrell Nikki situation, like she's not, she doesn't seem to be vehemently racist or bigoted against mm. the Cylons per se, but shows discomfort at the idea of the Cylons surviving, like, like not even right. just not that, not that, Oh, we cannot let this happen, but just that like, Oh, it's dawning on her what this might mean. And like, not that she like makes a big deal out of it, but just that like, you kind of see it register with her as like, Oh, this has consequences. And Hmm, maybe we're glossing over those consequences and we should maybe be thinking about that or things that seem normal like just a couple of parents looking at a sonogram have such wide implications for right. the future <laughs> of these two people groups so I kind of like I almost want to take her as like the barometer of the average person in a way like who isn't yeah. particularly anti or pro Cylon, but is just judging this alliance on its own merits. Sure. Um, maybe. And, and, and like, could maybe be persuaded of either direction, but is not quite sure where she's going to come down. Or like, like maybe she's trying to allow her sort of medical training to have that detachment that Cottle seems to have, you know, done really well. Like he, he's willing to like take on patients Cylon or human right. you know and sort of judge them as individual people and mm -hmm. not like what their blood type happens to be or you know whatever you know however you distinguish a Cylon from a human right um but like maybe isn't quite trained or experienced or professional enough to like be able to do that fully mm -hmm. so like you do get those little moments of like yeah, like surprise or unsureness about mm -hmm. what's going on. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that's sort of significant about the scene then too is like the the whole like description of like this is the only Cylon Cylon pairing mm. to ever produce a child, and <laughs> like and then there's that like brief sentence. Believe me, 
It's been tried. Like, you can just imagine, like, entire, like, base stars of orgies going on. <laughs> Trying and, like, to get pregnant. Yeah, like, right. why, she can't, says it why is there like, no pregnancy? Yeah. yeah, like, why is there no pregnancies going on? Right. Um, and the idea, so, which is interesting, because then, of course, the idea is that, that there's love that mm. produces the child. What matters is that our love produced a child. That means it's possible for our race to, to survive even without resurrection. So, no two Cylons have ever been in love before. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems strange to me, but okay. Like, I mean, I don't have anything to disprove that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that, like, love isn't an element in human procreation. Right. Like, it's purely biological. Uh, so why is that an element in, you know, with regard to two Cylons? And what does that mean for, like, Ty and Ellen mm-hmm. never having had a child? Like, mm-hmm. maybe they were just really careful and always used, you know, contraceptives. Right. I guess that could be. But, like, does yeah. that affect their love? Like, what does that say about their love, that they never had a child? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oops. I totally just gave away a spoiler there in case anyone... Oh, no. We already knew. We knew Ellen was the fifth. Never mind. I'm yeah, yeah. sorry. That's not a spoiler at this point. I yes. Man, I can't remember what is and what isn't, honestly. It's so hard. <laughs> um, but I, I, I almost pulled a Lee right there. Right? Like, how do you know she's a woman? How do you know she's a woman? Yeah. Um, That's funny. But no, good. I, we already knew that, so we're good. Yes. Um, yeah, no, but it does bring up that idea of like, yeah, like their their love is supposed to like be this thing that conquers like all this other stuff, including like infidelity on both sides, right? Like, yeah, but they never had a child together. But then again, Ty kind of thought Six was Ellen at least some of the time when he was with her. Sure, so, like, and like, was he in love with Caprica <laughs> Six when they were like? She seems to think so. Yeah, I mean, right. But, like... Unless unless it's just pregnancy hormones, like, putting rose-colored glasses on things. But, like, I, I feel don't like... Know. I And I have to say, the, the affection between the two of them in this is a bit much for me. Like... Yeah. It, shall, shall we call it contrived? Is it's, that... Is it... It's... Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's um, like Cordy calling so, Connor sweet. Well, I was just gonna like, say, like, is that... Is that the other, that's the other connection, you know, that we could, uh, there's the reckoning and then there's like the, right. you know, overly sappy. Overly sappy uh, couples that have no business. Yeah. Like, I buy that there was like a one night stand involved. Do I, do I buy that there's genuine love and well, affection? And there, I mean, you know. Even, even repeated Right, or right, or repeatedly, like repeatedly like it, with these two, you know, like because we get like Adama, you know, confronting Ty, like, right, dude, I know you've been going in there like every day and turning right. off the right, you know, camera, right, but it something. was always weird and complicated, like, it was always right. like she was beating the crap out of him while they did it, and like he was like projecting Hallucinating Ellen the whole time. Ellen, yeah. So is that re- uh, the basis of a loving, affectionate relationship? Now, look, babies can... Maybe, maybe for Cylons it is. Babies sometimes, like, make people feel united in a way that 
you know, like they're unhealthy as it is, you definitely hear about people who use babies as a way to save relationships, oh, sure. you know? So that's not totally, but like the holding of the hands and like new parent glow that is around them is a bit jarring, I think, in this yeah. episode. And I mean, we talked in the, in the webisodes about is Ty being out of character. And I think that's a little bit continuing here of like, yeah. You know, like, and, and maybe it is the writers just trying to convince us that Ty is a nicer guy than he really is. <laughs> like, or, or this is the new softer Ty since he's had his revelation of his Cylon nature. Like, so, maybe he is turning yeah. over a new leaf, but he seems to want to just... With everyone except Gata, maybe. Gate is the um, only one who's calling BS on this and being like, no, this right. is not how you've been. You can't just suddenly pretend like you're this lovely father figure, um, which I have to kind of agree with Gata in that case. Like, you know, um, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, well, right. So we'll get to Gata, but um, yeah. And, and soon. So like, so there's that. Well, we, we handled that one quickly. Um, <laughs> Then there's Tyrrell and Nikki, right? So Tyrrell come bring you know comes running in with Nikki, like who's sick or or whatever, um, which we learn later is acute renal failure that could become chronic. Um, we don't really know why. Like we didn't. I don't think Cottle like actually like he diagnoses the problem, but like not the source of sure the problem. Um, but it's going to require like transfusions and dialysis. And through that is when we get Ishe sort of revealing, which is interesting. So like the whole doctor patient confidentiality thing. Um, one, Cottle is, well, so, okay. This, this gets back to what is U.S. law and how is it different from colonial mm -hmm. law in the show? But like, just sort of assuming that like, it's somewhat similar. Mm -hmm. Cottle is right that like there is such a thing as doctor patient confidentiality after death. However, in most cases, I believe I'm not a legal expert or a medical expert, but I believe from what I understand that confidentiality, like whatever medical records or secrets or whatever gets passed to the next of kin, mm. which would be Gaeta. No. Or not Gaeta, which would be Tyrrell. Sorry. Yeah. I looked at the wrong line in my notes, which would be <laughs> Tyrrell. And, um, right. And so like, like if everyone is right and wrong at the same time, like this right. is Coddle being right and wrong. Like, right. yes, there is, doctor-patient confidentiality, but I don't think that applies to, like, the spouse of the person who's deceased. Like, right. I think right. like, of anyone, they're the ones who should get, like, the benefit of the doubt, especially mm -hmm. when you're talking about uh, the fact that, like, Medical your kid is not safety. really your kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that it... Like, the thing that... And maybe this is, like, a contrivance in Cottle's character, too. Like, if we're talking about characters not being quite consistent... Like, I feel like Coddle's the kind of doctor who would totally break that rule in order to save a life. But yeah. here he's like weirdly keeping the rule and endangering a life. Mm. 
So like, like I feel like that is inconsistent with what we've seen of Coddle mm-hmm. in the past. Of like he seems totally willing, um, except maybe on like a direct order from Adama. Mm-hmm. And even then, like we've kind of seen him bend the rule as like far as he can without breaking it. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me like he will. Like this is the guy I remember who, like, didn't kill a baby, and like gave it secretly in adoption to someone else you know despite being ordered to like kill it Mm -hmm. and stuff like like he went pretty far with Hera to like save her life Mm -hmm. and like here he's not even going to be like all right look dude sorry to tell you this way but he's not your kid we've got blood we can help him out yeah yeah like that just doesn't seem yeah coddle like to me right um sure so I don't anyway that 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 bugged me a bit with the whole mm-hmm. doctor patient confidentiality um again because like legally i don't think that applies to the spouse of the person who's deceased like right. they would actually be i believe in most cases like entitled to that medical information and like the the, the saving of a life thing like seems more of a coddle yeah action to yeah right right that's usually that's always his priority yeah right um yeah. But we get Ishe here again. So which so which is the so the other piece I wanted to say about that then is like he sort of calls her out on that, like we'll talk later, like you broke this confident but she didn't really mm-hmm. because she didn't break confidentiality of Callie. Mm-hmm. All she said was, We have Nikki's blood. Like we have a supply in the blood bank of Nikki's blood. Mm-hmm. And and at that point it's not that has nothing to do with Callie. Mm-hmm. That's that's about Nikki and, mm-hmm. and his needs, and of course, again, Gabe, uh, why do I keep doing that? Tiro mm-hmm. as a as the father or the presumed father at that point mm-hmm. would have a right to know like what Nikki's blood type and you know needs are yeah. in that instant medical need. Yeah. So like, and that doesn't bring Callie into it at all. Now, if you want to get into like why Nikki has completely human blood and all of that, like right. that's a separate issue. But, but right. there, like, Ishe doesn't actually break confidentiality. So I find that interesting too. That like Cottle gets so upset at her mm-hmm. in that moment when, in fact, like she's not, she's kind of doing the Cottle thing in that moment. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe that's what pisses him off about it is that it's like seeing yourself in another person and it angers you. <laughs> like right, right, um, right. Or it's okay for him to do these things, but. Right. Not for other people to kind of take it upon themselves to make those decisions and, or whatever. And she also did just call him out for like smoking, yeah, you know, near a pregnant woman. So like maybe he just isn't happy with her at all, right? Um, <laughs> regardless of what she's the, just calling him on all of his <laughs> his BS today, yeah. Which which is which is coddle. He calls everyone else on their BS. Like mm-hmm. it's it's totally like treating him. Is it another uh, father child relationship here? Of like, oh maybe you know, it's like, it's I, those yeah. things that you recognize in yourself, like you said, that annoy you the most. Like when your <laughs> right. your parent or your kid like does things which you do and which you kind of maybe are secretly like you don't like about your own self, but when you see them in other people, it like annoys you even more. Yeah. Um, as, um, my daughter totally did, you know, a Facebook post like last week or something sometime and tagged both me and her mother in it. It was like something along the lines of like, 
you know, you you yell at me for doing whatever, but I just got it from you. <laughs> you know, it's like, right, exactly. well, yes, that's true. But, yeah. you know, yeah. don't do it still. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So maybe uh, that's Cottle and Isha here is their like, you know, parental slash mentor kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like we kind of talked about the Tyrell and hot dog interaction. Is there anything we didn't cover when we kind of were talking about them earlier of like Tyrell at least voicing and I think enacting like the ideal response of the parent here of it's, it's, it sucks except for the parts that don't and you're going to want to run away, but you don't and you sit your butt in that chair and your kids in the hospital and you stay with them and you don't leave no matter what. And like, this is what all the parents are failing to do in this episode, you know? Um, But Tyrell at least kind of (laughs) gives the, the ideal, like, uh, I was going to say like, kind of including Tyrell because he's like, and I'll be back after I sober up. (laughs) I'm going, I'm going on a bender. Sure. And you're going to sit there. (laughs) Sure. But also like the fact that maybe you can't do it alone and there's a partnership element to it of like you don't expect yourself to be able to give a hundred percent a hundred percent of the time and you Mm -hmm. like you work with other people to take care of you know your responsibilities and all that but that's true i mean he certainly cuts himself some slack and goes for a for a nightcap or two. Or I got a feeling it was like going to be a bit more than that. But yeah, <laughs> um, we don't necessarily know. I mean, we, we've we seen Tyrell drink before and he can put him away. This is true. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right though. Like we've covered most of that, I think. Um, so the other thing then, of course, in the med bay is, is Gaeta. Right. Uh, which, you know, he com- he's come in, apparently has been in a number of times about his prosthetic and needing it refitted and it's not working right. But um, Cottle seems to just sort of be like, you know, brushing him off. Um, And then, so you've got, he's already occupied with Ty and Caprica six. And then Tyrell comes running in with Nikki and you get his, excuse me, you get um, Gaeta's sort of, really sarcastic and and frustrated you know comments there about you know earth's a cinder d's dead suicides are up the fleet's a mess the president's missing in action but hey got to make sure the cylons are taken care of um and yeah i mean he's not wrong (laughs) like that's certainly certainly it seems like that's what's going on now um you know i mean is this objectively true like if you looked at the data would like are more cylons being treated in the sick bay than humans i mean probably not because like most of the cylons aren't even on galactica at this point they're right right on their own based right like these are the significant final five characters and everything right 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 so you Um, could you could use data to prove but like right there's truth in there about, I mean, it, it yeah. it's kind of, so there's very much a, like, 
uh, an immigration sort of thing. Like if you apply that to like today's politics, right. Of like all the immigrants are stealing our jobs and, you know, sure they get all the benefits that should be given to us and are, you know, eating up our tax dollars and sending their kids to our schools and, you know, like that kind of, you know, where, you know, when you look at it, like the data maybe doesn't really support those arguments, but like the people making them aren't looking at data. (laughs) Like they're just kind of looking at the subjective, whatever it is they want to look at in the moment. And so. No, no. And that's true. The, The only other thing though, um, is I think to your point about it, the implication is that he's been down there several times and the fact that like, all right, like significant member of your crew who has important jobs to do, which include finding a planet for them to settle on. Like you maybe bump them to the front of the queue, you know, like, it's it's that kind of thing of I think even as much as the Cylons being prioritized, it's as much that sense of I'm being brushed off, you know, which I think goes to the kind of abandonment theme of like yeah. I'm telling you there's a problem and I'm not being heard. Like I think that's as you know, but there is I think definitely a change for Gata in that kind of like bigotry frankly of like you know the significant use of the word toaster there like whereas like in in the webisodes like he's rolling his eyes when when brooks uses the the word skin job like oh you know Mm -hmm. you you, like racist like don't use words like that that's not that's unkind and here he is in the next episode can't keep those toasters waiting like since when does he use slurs like that? You know, the fact, so like he might have a point, but there's also some personal resentment mixed in with the truth sure. of the criticism. So. Sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah. So let's take that and move right into like the, the whole like meeting between like him and Adama and Ty and Lee and Hero. Right, mm-hmm. and I guess Hilo must be in there too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, which I didn't have him in my list, but like then I remembered, like we talked about the conversation immediately after this, and right? Like he's coming out of the room with them, so right, right. um, but yeah, like like that's which Hilo's what... very simple pro Cylon integration, hurrah! Like that's his character sure. summed up in this episode, you know, which is like exactly what you'd expect, and he's been the the one who's the only one who's that's been his position pretty much like all along it through his relationship with Athena and everything. Um, yeah. Like um, he and sees also, them as people. That's very clear. And, and also very, uh, like, you know, like we said before, like very engaged father, like mm-hmm. uh, not the only engaged father, but like more consistently than like any of the others <laughs> that we've seen. Um, yeah. Certainly. Um, but yeah, so in the meeting with um, those six, I guess um, you get so you get uh, 
you get Tyrrell. Man, why do I keep mixing up Tyrrell <laughs> and Ganon? Like, it just Are you saying you're trying to say I Galen? Th- I think that's it. It's like, it's the Galen, and then, like, right. I'm like, wait, no, and it's, yeah. Anyway, uh, you get Tyrrell in there, kind of describing their idea for, you know, outfit or, or retrofitting Cylon technology to the fleet ship so that they can cover more, uh, well, I almost say cover more ground, cover more space, I guess, and, um, you know, check out more star systems and hopefully find a planet to live on and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, but in order to do that, like the Cylons, or at least the, you know, the Cylons who are here, the sixes and eights and uh, what are, who else is there? Oh, the Leoban, oh, whatever right. he the is. Two? Two? I think yeah, two. I think, I think that's right. Um, you know, who are, uh, you know, who are there kind of alongside the fleet. They, they want to sort of be made full members. I, I guess that means they don't use the word citizens, but I guess with like interesting, like I wasn't thinking. I think of he does. I, I think oh, he says it? like something about being full citizens. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So like, which, which I wasn't like... think I wasn't thinking about that when I was just talking about, uh, you know, Gata and like the immigration thing, but like, right that kind of adds to it right like right you know we want a path to citizenship basically right and right and and like a very i think smart thing on tiro's part to show that he played on you know adama's integrity and you know sense of appropriateness to convince the Cylons that if like if they are made citizens like Adama will honor that and mm-hmm. like he brings that up right in front and I mean the the stuff between him and Ty is kind of like again like I don't know I don't know the whole the whole like Ty criticism of like so apparently like Gade <clears throat> Tyrrell <laughs> apparently Tyrrell is no longer a part of the army right like he's He's gone over with uh, Tori, um, whereas I guess Sam is. Where's Sam? We don't point? see like, Sam in this episode. We haven't seen Sam in this mm-hmm. episode, but like, like Ty is still with, you know, the the military, right. um, but Tyrrell is not. He's apparently gone over with the other Cylons. Mm-hmm. So, um, but is still on the Galactica. So, right. like, it's not clear. Like, like right. is he... I guess he's not... He doesn't see... Like, he doesn't seem to be part of the military at this point. And we get that whole, like, confusion of the pronouns. Like, the right. we, you, right. us, them. Like, you. Um, and, you know, Ty's like, well, do you want to chart, you know, all that kind of making fun of him? But it's like... Yeah. You know what? Like you're just kind of being who you always were and that's fine for you. But like, you're not like, you're also playing a part here. Mm -hmm. Like, um, anyway, so I don't know. I, you, so you get the whole sort of description of what they want to do and some talk back and forth. And, um, you get Lee saying, well, you know, we'll need the, the, council or the quorum to uh you know sort of approve this plan um and that's 
you know, that's whatever. And then you get Adama's like, well, I need to run it past the president as far as like the whole citizenship thing and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I guess the main thing there is with, with Gaeta is like his sort of incredulity at, you know, the, the even the concept of like creating this alliance with, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, with the Cylons and not just an alliance, but like if, you know, making them actual citizens, like making them a part of the fleet that, right. you know, is, is just as protected and, all of that as as everyone else and this is like so now they'll have like access to more medical services that like will delay his getting his like retrofitted and that kind of thing right like this is the i mean again like it the more i think about the more it does really line up with like with the whole yeah although illegal immigrant stuff here's the difference though and i feel like it's easy to take that that as the metaphor, and it, like it, I think it does work on the one hand. On the other hand, I I think it's important to remember, even like just the recent history of like New Caprica. Like I think the sure. fear here, and I think like, and some of it is unjustified fear that like you could maybe kind of the data doesn't bear it out, like it does with you know these people like sucking up essential services and that kind of thing of like, there aren't that many Cylons in Galactica. So are they really taking over all the medical attention? Probably not. So in that case, it kind of does look um, a bit like, you know, people are letting their fears and biases get the best of them. Um, on the other hand, I think like the, the more legitimate side of it, um, is and I think this is where the webisodes become important, at least for like Gaeta's point of view, and then extrapolating out to the wider fleet, um, is this concern of handing over crucial systems to people who occupied us very recently, you know? Um, and I think like well, that's and- that's part of the fear of citizenship isn't it, like just about you know giving services to people it's it's as much about what are what systems are we giving them access to that like when they when they turned up in new caprica it was all about you know integration and love and learning to work together and live together and lots Mm. of good feelings. And that was the purpose of it. And I feel like that's kind of was the rude awakening of like whatever shreds of optimism Gaeta had about that situation was like the one Cylon he felt like maybe there really was a good connection with who really wanted to help us. Even she was completely playing us and lying and you know turned out to be a killer and so I feel like that's very much underneath the reaction is you know not just like oh I don't want to share like resources with the Cylons but like a fear of wait a minute am I the only one who remembers what we just went through um 
And suddenly the people who were on the resistance in New Caprica are now championing this new situation because, oh, turns out they were Cylons all along. And now suddenly their attitudes have miraculously changed overnight. And, you know, like, I definitely think, like I said before, that there are personal issues that are getting in the way of maybe some of his objectivity, but I think there are legitimate concerns there, too. Um, like, it's yeah. not just, like, illegal immigrants. It's also, like, maybe, you know, if we've kind of talked about the silence as, like, these genocidal, you know, you wouldn't, like, hand over the security of your fleet to the Nazis, would you? Like, you know, I think, and and... There's also the thing of, I think, the audience maybe knows the Cylons a little bit better than the characters do at this point. Like, I think we trust sure. them a little bit more. Like, we feel like we know what Natalie was about and what the sixes and the eights and, like, they... Maybe there is a genuine change in their attitudes, but do the people of the fleet know that? You know? Right. Does Gaeta know that? Like, I think their sense is this is exactly where we've been before and what are we learning from, you know, our previous experiences. So I think that's part of the the reaction yeah. too. No, and I think that's all that's all a good point. Like, um so yeah, I so you get Gata voicing his displeasure and the whole like little thing between him and Kai of like sir and you know blah 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 and then afterwards you know you wear the uniform you obey the rules and you lock up your personal crap and treat the old man with the respect he's due um which of course the question there is if he's if the old man's abdicating some of his responsibility does he deserve that respect but that's a that's a different question maybe for another day um sure because i don't i mean i don't know that we I don't know that Gaeta necessarily sees Adama quite the same way we do of like, like it seems to be like a private shirking for him. Whereas like Rosalind is still, is a bit more public, mm. like public shirking in that she's not in public. Like that's, that's the shirking part, right? Like, is that like, mm -hmm. it's more noticeable that she's like shirking herself, but Adama is still kind of doing right. at least the, the, wrote day-to-day -day stuff um right but there's also a hollowness to it like i think the there's a continuity between sure Gata complaining I, to coddle and not being heard and maybe complaining to adama and not being heard like you know yes and but the I, fact I, I guess all i'm saying is that like like you said like we've seen more of the cylons we also see more of adama so sure, like, right how much is that being picked up on by the rest of the crew maybe right. it is maybe it's not but it's hard to right. hard to say exactly um right right so it's not really stated well so the other thing is right with gata so you, you know you've got the personal stuff mm -hmm. of like the stuff he just kind of went through in the webisodes and whatever but and It's clear he's been thinking about this stuff for a while, because then you get the visit to Starbuck, right? Like mm -hmm. after his sort of little confrontation with Kai, you get his visit to Starbuck. And 
I mean, not that, like, we ever expect Starbucks to, like, be nice or, you know, rational about things. But, yeah. like, I don't know. Her her little jibes about, like, his leg and stuff. It's, it's like. awful. Do you remember that, like. <laughs> it's so bad. This was, this was on your yeah. mission to find Earth that went completely wrong. And there was mutiny. And, like, that's why he lost his leg. It's not. It's yeah. not even like, like the stuff he brings up. He doesn't is, even bring up the leg. Is like the circle and whatever. And she's talking about, oh, you lost your leg. Uh, oh, is this how you get your kick? So I forgot you can't kick. How about you were a really crappy leader on your mission to find Earth? Like you want to complain about like, you know, Rosalind and Adama and stuff not finding Earth properly, like. Talk about yourself and, like, how terribly awful your own mission went. Right. Um, yeah, and he kind of wipes the floor with her. And I think, it like, the fact that she has no defense is why her only comeback is, like, mockery yeah. about his disability, you know? Yeah. Like, she doesn't have a single, you know... Um, real response to anything that he says you know which i think he knows he's picking a fight he knows he's gonna win right like he's like and i think that's very much at the end you kind of realize how much this is a staged thing right like mm-hmm. going to a semi-public place mess. Yeah. and he's looking over the shoulder like who's listening and we're gonna hear what she has to say for herself and see the fact that she has no real defense for any of you know these questions or you know criticisms or whatever Mm -hmm. um and so then there's two scenes that it reminds me of it's one the reversal of their other scene in the mess hall right like where she kind of pounces on him with no warning in front of everybody he kind of turns the table and does the exact same thing to her here. Um, And then um, the fact that like every time Adama, all right, the way the scene is, is like Adama's walking down the hall and he like picks up a piece of trash and like keeps walking. And then the camera goes into the room and it's the two of them and they start fighting. It always makes me think of when it's um, Starbuck and Ty in the mess hall holding court as Hilo said and when Adama comes in and like gives them the tough love like tells them exactly where they can go until their attitudes are adjusted and they can come back I always feel like that's part of Adama's absenteeism here of like that's what he needs to be doing is getting in that room and clearing the place out and making the two of them work out their issues but, like, he's not doing that. He's not, like, so much of the episode is, like, he doesn't even know what's going on no. in the fleet around and him. He's oblivious to the stuff that's festering. And he's not right. there when he needs to be the parent. And, like, so the two of them are allowed to just completely destroy each other and resolve nothing. Um, right. And then they shut the door. And, I mean, we right. don't hear... I kind of wish... I kind of wish we could have gotten a parallel speech from Gaeta mm. like we get from Baltar, right? Like, sure. 
like right what kind of a father abandons their children to despair and loneliness am i right like <laughs> that's yeah kind of what like he's there, saying there there was an opportunity yeah maybe even like an interleaved thing where they're saying very similar things but like to different audiences and stuff <coughs> um might have been interesting there yeah um, instead we get adama yelling at Fedorsky. <laughs> um not a great trade so Well, okay, so, uh, sorry, I I kind of jumped ahead there to Gaten Starbucks, and that's kind of because I'm aware of the time and that we're over, but yeah. I I skipped over, like, the whole Lee, Zarek, and the Quorum stuff, which mm-hmm. is a parallel to the meeting with Adama, Ty, Lee, Carol, Gaeta, Hila. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, so here's the thing, it's like, At the end, you know, part of the outcome of that meeting is of the first meeting is Lee's like, okay, well, I, you know, we need the quorum's like approval and whatever. He tries to go get it and totally bombs. Like it goes completely the other way. Zarek manages to have his own speechification and uh, convinces the quorum to like vote that no you know, Cylons will be allowed on any ships without the permission of, like, the captain and the passengers or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, it's, like, one of those things where, like, it doesn't technically, like, preclude that, you know, people from, like, saying, yes, you can come on, but, you know, like, not a lot of people are gonna, like, not a lot of ships are gonna be, like, willing to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because of, like, what you said, like, you know, access to critical systems and, and a lot of the things coming up um in that sort of discussion vein. Um but then you get like the decision by Adama to just go ahead and like say screw it and and use the silent stuff anyway. So like I feel like there's there's definitely like a bait and switch there, I think, on Adama's part of Like, I know he has to be convinced to, like, allow the quorum. Like, it's, like, he could have maybe just said from the beginning. But then he's like, well, it's a, it's a military decision. And that's when you get gay to being like, wait, you, you get to decide that on your own? And then I was like, yes, I get to decide. Like. Right. Which he's done before, which, like, I feel like is a thing we've kind of yeah. asked ourselves, like. Wait a minute. But now, what but counts now it's, as a military decision? And um, but like Gata was in that other meeting too, right? And like knows that like Adama had agreed to like right. first get the quorum's approval, and when the quorum doesn't provide that approval, like now Adama's just saying, "Well, screw it anyway." Mm-hmm. So like there, I feel like there's definitely an element of in Gata's eyes anyway, um, and possibly in our as well a, a loss of integrity in you know on Adama's part of you know you said you were going to follow this saying and now you're not and so um yeah I mean I don't I mean whether that whether that I, like I feel like that's just another thing of like again maybe this isn't like objectively like something Adama always does and it's a special circumstance or whatever but like it's another of those subjective moments in Gaeta's viewpoint Mm -hmm. of you know sort of 
good regular folk getting walked over for someone else's gain. Maybe not particularly the Cylons in this case, although it's Cylon technology. But, like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, if people don't want it, then, like, why are you forcing them to have it? And it, you know, who's Adama to just sort of decide that? Um, right. So, uh, all right. So, man, um, I can't complain about the Fagurski scene as much as I want to. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, Adama, or, well, almost is way over dramatic like this is um overacting yeah uh to the core um i think this is one you said that they took out of like the broadcast i'm pretty sure that this gets uh skipped over yeah it kind of cuts from him hanging up the phone to Rosalind running in the hallway and then she kind of runs into adama and that i think was probably a, a, a a superior cut um and and I feel like if and you're like it, it, it's just hammering home what we already know, which is he's he's at the end of his tether. You know, his temper yeah. is frayed. He's lost well, his ability to like parent in a thoughtful way. He's just ready to snap at anybody and this, who screws up. This happens chronologically after. Gata and Starbuck and then like Gata's in the like shuts the door and like talks it right so like I think so there's an implication there I think mm. that like this is a strike like this it, it's it's a non-strike strike right like what like a what did they call it in uh in in Babylon 5 right like there was an episode with like the dock workers where like they were all calling in sick or whatever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like is that type of thing right. of you're not you're you're not really striking, but you're kind of striking. Yeah. Um. So it 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 seems to have more like you, uh, Adama said. Says to Vergersi, like you used to pull this kind of crap all the time when Tyrrell was in charge, and you know for Vergersi says yes, well no, like but like you get the sense that that was just like him being lazy. Right. This is not like people being lazy. No. Like this, this seems to be more of a concerted effort, and no, but maybe Adama yeah. not quite realizing that. he doesn't get it. Right, that's the thing. Is like, yeah, it's more organized than that, and he is oblivious to that fact. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I agree. Um, yeah, um, Edward James almost is not the greatest at like big scenes. So, yeah, this is. We're, we you're angry we get it this kind of yep yeah um but the bigger the bigger sort of event is of course the tillium ship mm-hmm. um and you know maybe to fly through it a little bit um mm-hmm. basically they they mutiny the the crew of the tillium ship mutinies and um starts taking off they Adama sends a uh, raptor and a couple of vipers after them to to board uh, and bring it back because, of course, it's the Tilium and that's how they get around places. Um, but the interesting thing here is that, like, the Tilium ship is is calling Zarek, right? And, like, so clearly there's, like, seems to be a clear instigation going on here. 
mm-hmm. on his part of, uh, you know, again, like some, like everybody is right and wrong. And it's like, it's that thing of like, well, the quorum voted to allow ships to not have Cylons board and install this technology and stuff, but, you know, they're being held over. And so like, like it's that thing of where Zarek is like he's sort of pre- he's using the words of freedom and mm. like you know you have the right to like stand against tyranny and stuff but there's also like very much a like not that I think I don't think Zarek wants like Adama to destroy the Tilium ship and like I mean Adama wouldn't destroy it because they need it but right. like on the other hand like if the people on the Tilium ship died. Like, I think Zarek would consider that those like good deaths for the cause. Right. Right. It would just like, prove what a hypocrite Adama is. And, right. Yeah. Um, so, which is itself cold and kind of calculating and, and yeah. all of that um, in its own right. But, um, but yeah, like, I mean, he's, he's, you know, talking about, like, you have the right to, you know, not be ruled by tyranny and stuff, and you do what you need to do, and which is, like, borderline seditious itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you have... He's almost implying that if you needed to, like, shoot the Vipers down, that would be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I... I mean, I don't think the Tillium ship actually has, like, ship defenses and stuff like that. so right maybe that's not but like maybe like people on board have guns and if the marines tried to like board they would be justified in maybe shooting back and that kind of thing. right 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 um, that seems yeah. to be, that like he doesn't come out and say it because zarek rarely comes out and says anything but he seems to imply that pretty heavily mm-hmm. at least it seems to me um right the which they do t- they kill they say they killed like a Cylon and two Marines who tried to install this, this system. Right. So, but that like the fact that Zarek supports them, like you have the right to defend yourself and, right. you know, and so, yeah, like it up to and including fatalities is kind of the, yeah the unspoken message um, there. Um, and the Tellium ship, you know, jumps away or, or whatever. And um, so then of course, Adama goes and arrests Zarek. Uh, not for the first time, uh, and maybe not for the maybe last. not the last. Uh, goes and arrests Eric and and brings him over, and um. So the interesting thing here, and this is sort of the last scene we'll talk about, I think, but uh, the interesting thing here is, of course, that Adama totally plays on Zarek's presumed uh shady side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we've seen that. Zarek does have a shady side before, so like it's not a big presumption on our part. Um, but like also like the whole bluff aspect of it, of you know, that we learn later that he's got a file of like laundry reports or something, mm-hmm. and um, but Zarek totally, you know, this is the the um, uh, there's an Emerson quote. Um, and I'm I'm gonna get it wrong. Um, trying to look it up here real quick. Um, 
Yeah, anyway. Uh, I can't. Yeah, I, I, something along the lines of like, by like, like that you reveal your true character by like, you know, assuming things of other people, basically. Mm-hmm. And so like, this is, this is the Zarek moment, right? Of like, like he just like he probably has dossiers on like all of these people and so like he's just assuming that like Adama is the same way basically mm-hmm. and like totally has this which, which you know he doesn't he you know he just has a right you know fairly innocuous set of papers there but um it turns out maybe Zarek was involved in some or all of the things mm-hmm. that he mentions graft bribery drug running gambling theft even a murderer or two. And well, it kind of implies that if he was wrong about any one of those, maybe Zarek would have sniffed the lie, like, oh, yeah. I haven't murdered anyone, so you yeah. must not have any of it. Like the, or, so it kind I'm of I'm not like, a drug runner. I've done all the other stuff. <laughs> right. But I don't exactly. do drugs. Yeah. So that's kind of the tell that like it's probably all true to some extent. You know? Yeah. Like um, there's definitely definitely a sense that at some level or other. Right. Zarek, and even if like Zarek suspects like maybe he got something wrong, there's also like part of me wonders like, does Zarek think that Adama would have been willing to like cook up evidence? Sure. So like even if maybe Zarek hasn't actually murdered anyone or or caused someone to be murdered, but does that mean Adama couldn't have like put together evidence? To make it look like to frame Zarek in that way, like Zarek might totally do something like that to someone else, so like he could maybe believe Adama would do it to him as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, totally bluffing, but it works, and he gets the coordinates back and brings the Pilium ship back, um, which they're very docile at that point, right? It's like crap, they found us. Right. And right. There's not really fine. much resistance. We'll yeah. Go back with you. Right. Um but then you get the ending there with Right. Right. Well, not quite the ending, but almost the ending. Well, there was one we more have to scene talk we talk about Zarek and Gata. So Well, that's what I was going to talk about and okay. then I realized there's another scene after that. So, you get the ending there of um of Z- Zarek and Gata and Zarek saying, you know, every revolution begins with one small act of courage, but I hope you know how serious I hope this is. I hope you understand that this will have consequences, deadly consequences for a lot of people. And then Geta says, I've thought about the consequences and I'm ready for that. And so like again, like maybe this is more of Adama's like like Yes, he steps up and is involved in, like, getting the Tilium ship back and stuff, but, like, he's still missing, like, the bigger picture of Mm. what's going on here and doesn't really understand, like, the seriousness of the, you know, disfavor, the dissension among the ranks that that is happening here Um, and how, like, each of his actions are sort of Rather than, uh, you know, it, it's the Princess Leia saying, you know, the more you tighten your grip, the more star 
systems will slip through your fingers kind mm. of thing. Like that the more Adama is kind of like maybe putting out brush fires here and there, like there's a much bigger fire sort of in the treetops spreading fast and quick, mm-hmm. you know, fast mm-hmm. and quick, fast and hot. I don't know. Um, right. right. Which I mean, for all the criticisms of Ty and I will certainly make many of them. That's the one thing he seems to pick up on that no one else is, is something's up with Gata. Like, if Gata is being pissy and insubordinate, that's unusual, and that's worth paying attention to, maybe. Like, he, this is not an officer that generally voices these kinds of criticisms openly. So maybe that's mm-hmm. something worth paying attention to whereas like adama definitely seems kind of oblivious to and again gata as representative of a wider sentiment in the fleet like there's his own personal character arc stuff but then there's the way in which he's speaking for like a silent minority or a majority you know who have these sorts of feelings about the way adama Mm -hmm. and roslyn are handling things um and so, I mean, the other thing, too, is, like, kind of a, for more, like, the personal character arc stuff, I kind of want to point out the the irony here of, we kind of talked in the webisodes about Gaeta trying to learn the lesson of what he's done wrong each time, right? Of, like, the, the, the eight telling him, you need to stop naively following these putting these this blind faith in the good nature of your leaders like because you're making a lot of stupid decisions because of it it's getting people killed um so he like is a okay that's like you know baltar bad choice of leader like they really couldn't have gone worse you know the the eight that you know he thought was on his side turned out to be complete psychopath and was playing the whole time and I feel like he's applying that to the Adama Roslin leadership of, I have to stop looking at these people with rose colored glasses and they're making a lot of mistakes and they're going to get us killed. So I need to do something and not just let it happen all over again. But then what does he do? He runs right to Zarek. And it's like another strong leader that he's kind of putting his faith in. And like, I think like as the audience, I think we know like, for all that his criticisms of Adama may be valid, it's not like Zarek is an upgrade, right? Like, it's kind of the same character flaw all over again. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is kind of the sad irony, is like the thing that he's trying to overcome, that, that kind of idealism, to use Baltar's word, is still not, is still there. It's not gone, it's just, nudged slightly he just is you know yeah he thinks he's getting over the idealism of what adama and Roslyn have done um and but i think only kind of just putting that energy somewhere else and zarek's now like the the man who's going to turn the world the right way that it's supposed to be um so kind of walking back into the same old trap all over again Ah, the tragic flaw. 
Yeah. So um, there we have it. A reckoning is coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, and the final little scene of Adam and Ross. Oh, right. We just have to say, which I, I, the main thing I want to point out, other than like, you know, the consummation of their slow burning relationship, um, is like we the presume, kind of like maybe... well, right, like the first time we see them together, anyway. But yeah, um, the kind of metaphor of like. On the one hand, you're from a shipping point of view, I think you're supposed to be sort of, you know, happy about that of like, oh, they're finally living for today and, you know, expressing their true feelings and finding happiness. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, the leader of the military, the leader of the government, literally in bed together, you know, it's kind of. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the perfect summary of everything that Gaeta and some of these other people are saying yeah, yeah, about yeah. their relationship. Um, yeah, well, and like Zarek, how, like Zarek says repeatedly, like the the Adama Roslin administration, right? Like mm. in his little speech, he he talks about that, and I mean, yes, he's talking politically, but like this is like you know the thing is that like they're like they are one that they are kind of a marriage in a way politically speaking that that they're a a single entity and there's no check to them and so now this is the like you said the consummation kind of 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 that you know as well not just of their affection and whatever but also their you know being together you know, in political and military matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But a reckoning is coming, and we'll uh, we'll see how that is. That goes. a threat? <laughs> it's a promise. Um. But yeah, we'll so we'll be back to talk about some more BSG next week and uh, an episode of Buffy. Sounds good. See you then.